Father, we just thank you once again, Father, for this day, 60th day of our lockdown. Two months are over. Father, we pray, Lord, that whatever we have heard, you would enable us, Lord, Father, to be sure, to make those foundations sure, strengthen them, and grow in you. Therefore, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be with us, O Lord, even as we now meditate upon your word. Speak to our hearts and edify us and build us in that in, the, in faith, O Lord. For your word says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I pray, Lord, you would establish us in faith, even now, in the name of Jesus. Commit all of us into your hands, anoint us afresh even in the hearing and the speaking of this word. For in Jesus' name, Amen. So 60 days of lockdown is over and we have heard so much of the word in different languages except in our own language, of course, Telugu. So uh, we, need to, we need to just take one warning. We need to be wary of certain attitudes that will um, make us forget what we have heard because we're all, we all tend to easily forget. You know, one of the books that um, people find it difficult to read is the book of Hebrews because Hebrews has got lots of warnings. Five important warnings, actually. Five, of course. Um, and it's written to believers. It's not written to any other person. It says in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1, if you took a look at that verse, Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, addressing it to the holy brothers, therefore, holy brothers, partakers of the heavenly calling. Okay? Everything okay? So he says, holy brothers, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. Excuse me, what's that? Yeah, please turn it off. Is that okay? <coughs> so, Holy brothers, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the high apostle and high priest of our confession. So this, this book primarily is addressed to the believers. Okay? And therefore, one of the things that we tend to um, not pay attention to is what we call as drifting. If you look at uh, Hebrews chapter 2, let us read from verses 1 to 3. And one of these attitudes which have to be really careful, which I think is the beginning of it, of um, if you if you if you're careful in this place, you can ensure that the other attitudes don't come. First you drift, then you doubt, then you become dull of hearing, then you despise the word, then you defy the word. These are five warnings. In the book of Hebrews. 
you drift, you doubt, you become dull, you despise, you defy. Okay. These are these are some things which you need to really be careful of. So therefore, if you take care of drift, <laughs> you will not doubt. And therefore, if you don't doubt, you will not become dull, but you will become sharp. And when you become sharp, you will have more and more love for the word. And instead of defying the word, you will become submissive to God's word. More and more. Okay. So, one of the, therefore, the most important attitude that we have to really be careful about is drifting. Okay. So, what does Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 say? It says, therefore, we must give more earnest heed or attention to the things we have heard. Okay. We have heard so many things. We have to give what? Careful, earnest attention or earnest heed to the things we have heard. There should be a, an element of earnestness or or uh, an inclination to to ensure that we hold on to the things that we have heard, lest we at any time drift. And when does drifting happen? When the boat is, you know, um, not anchored to the shore. And slowly it drifts. It doesn't, the current comes from the, uh, from underneath the waters and, and slowly happens. And before you know it, you're somewhere and you don't even know. It's almost like no man's land. Okay. And it becomes a point of no return. Almost. So that is something which we need to be real, really careful of. Drifting takes place. And why does it happen? It goes, please read, read from verses 1 to 4. Let's read it. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. So he's comparing the word which was spoken by angels, which was essentially the law. Yeah. And it says that every transgression and every disobedience received a just reward. Meaning whoever disobeyed the word, they were immediately dealt with. Even in the wilderness. Okay. Sons of Korah rebelled. Korah and uh, Dethan and Abiram rebelled. The earth opened up. Okay. And whenever they despised or defied authority, God really dealt with them. And when the law was disobeyed, they had to pay the price. Yeah. So he says, if that was so sure, how shall we escape if we, what? Neglect. So great a salvation. And what is a salvation? This is just not ordinary salvation. This is just not forgiveness from sin. Forgiveness was, of, from sin was, uh, of sin was even available in the Old Testament. They were all forgiven of their sins. But here we are talking about just not only, not only being freed from the penalty of sin, but progressively from the power and ultimately from the presence of sin. That is the salvation to the uttermost that we are talking about. That is the salvation which was, uh, 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 which was uh, revealed to us. And how it, how it was revealed to us? It was revealed to us by first which was spoken by the prophets. By, by, by the Lord. Okay, not the prophets. By the Lord himself. He was the one who said, Yeah, please, you can. No problem. Aram Don't worry. That's enough. Thank you. Yeah. So how shall we escape if we neglect a salvation which was first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to those by who uh, by those who heard him, that is the apostles, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So how did the drifting happen? Because we neglect. And how do we generally neglect? You know, 
two ways we neglect. You know, there was uh, this professor who teaches uh, Java on the internet. His name is Samadhi from Stanford University. In the first class, uh, he was talking to his students and he says, what are the common um, uh, negative traits in students? He asked. Can you enumerate them? And you know, most of the people, you know what they said in the in the first initial class, the first class of freshman year, okay, this is freshman year, uh, computer programming cl- class. And he's asking all the students, can you tell me what is the one thing that you guys all struggle with? You know what most of them said? Anybody? Huh? Kya procrastination. Boy, not bad at all. So you heard that lecture? Oh, you didn't. Okay. So you also struggle with procrastination. So that, that's, that's how drifting happens. You procrastinate. Ante? Kal karenge. Kabir ka do hai na Kal kareso aaj kar, aaj kareso ab. So he says, the moment you start putting away things, especially spiritual things for the latter, for tomorrow. That is the reason why he says salvation is what? Now, today, if you have heard your voice, as long as it is today, what should you do? Exhort one another. As long as it is called today. Okay. So, otherwise what happens? Slowly you drift out. Tomorrow the interest will go. Interest will go. Especially of spiritual spiritual things, you know. Uh, And you will just slowly drift away. So, first thing he says, procrastination. And other, how, how in other ways neglect happens? When we concentrate on trivial things rather than giving importance to important things. If for example, if you turn to Matthew chapter 23 verse 23, look at what Jesus says. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees. Uh, yeah? Hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. What is this? Justice, mercy and truth. These three things are important. Righteousness, mercy and faith. These are the most important doctrines and you don't give importance to these and you give importance to something which are minor. What happens? Neglect happens. You major on the minor as they say. Okay, slowly neglect happens and slowly you start drifting away and instead of looking at the most important things in the in, in your life, you start, you know, looking at trivial stuff and trivialities which are not important. That is the reason why if you turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and if you can turn to in the ESV, I, I, I mentioned it yesterday, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 9 if I'm right, 9 onwards. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, yeah. Um, hold on, uh, 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 seven onwards? No, no, say nine, 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 nine onwards, yeah, nine onwards. You put it in the NL, NLT, please. Okay. Besides being wise, the preacher, yeah, because the teacher was wise, okay, this is uh, chapter 12, verse nine onwards in, of Ecclesiastes, because the teacher was wise, he taught the people everything he knew. He collected proverbs and classified them, Indeed, the teacher taught the plain truth and he did so in an interesting way. And then, a wise teacher's words spur to spur students to action and emphasize on important truths. So what is he saying? You Pharisees, you look at all these little, little things. But what is most important? Mercy, 
Justice, mercy and faith. These are the three things. You should have done these things and also not have neglected the other things. Okay. So what is most important in our life? Justice is important. Mercy is important. Faith is important. If you don't show mercy without justice, and you know that, right? From James chapter 2, he says, he, he mentions that. Most important these things, these are the most important things. Mercy. And it says those who, what? Go after worthless idols, forsake their own mercy or their own steadfast love. Therefore, neglect, if we neglect the important truths that we have learned, for example, one of the most important truth and the most happiest thing that God really, really enjoys in is the truth of what? Repentance and faith. These are the two fundamental blocks. Okay. It says, um, in in fact, uh, Luke's, Luke's Gospel chapter 15 will men- mention, you know, when one uh, uh, sheep is, has gone astray, you know, the shepherd rejoices over that one thing which is found. When that one silver coin is lost, this lady goes crazy and she finds her one silver coin and she she calls all her neighbors and they have a feast. Therefore, it says there's tremendous joy in heaven when what? One sinner, what? repents and therefore he gives the parable of that prodigal son. Right? Therefore, tremendous rejoicing in heaven when we start repenting and we start changing our our ways of thinking and we build godly attitudes and slowly. I mean, it's it's drastic. I mean, in a sense, you, you, you're, you're, you're on that journey. Okay? And repentance is a lifelong process. We understood that, what repentance does. Therefore, repentance and faith, these are the fundamental building blocks upon which our lives are built. And we have to emphasize upon that over and over and over again, every day of our lives. Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Godly sorrow that leads us to repentance. And when God gives us, grants us repentance, what happens? We have four things that we looked at, right? What happens? We come to our senses. We know, first we know the truth. We come to our senses. We escape the snare of the devil and we begin to do the will of God rather than doing our own will. Okay. This is what happens over and over. More and more. What happens when we repent more? We come to know the truth more. And we shall know the truth. And the truth shall set us free. And we come to our senses. Our senses become even more sharper. And then we more we are able to discern where the snares of the devil are. For example, one of the snares is the fear of man is a snare. Flattery is a snare. Hmm? Flattery means praise of men is a snare. And then we begin to do God's will rather than doing our own will. So these are important truths. So we have to emphasize on important truths and not major on the minors. Okay. Very important for us to understand. Otherwise what will happen? When we neglect, we drift away. So this is a great salvation that has been that has been given to us. What is this great salvation? Not only from the penalty of sin, we are also delivered from the power of sin and we are also going to be delivered from the presence of sin. And how does the power of sin become lesser and lesser over our lives? Because we are delivered also from the pleasure of sin. Four P's. The penalty, the pleasure, sorry, the power, the pleasure and the presence finally of sin. God replaces those pleasures with his own pleasure. The pleasure of having a relationship with his son. Okay, and this this gospel was preached to us by his son. His own life, he showed us how to uh, live that life, how to live that life from of, of, by overcoming sin in sinful flesh. Like yesterday, we looked at that. Pastor was talking about it in the evening service. So, one of the important truths that we looked at, for, of course, is law came through Moses, John one seventeen. If you can turn turn there, 
law was given through moses but what what came through jesus christ grace and truth came through jesus christ and the new testament is about these two it is grace and truth grace and truth grace and truth the entire life in the new covenant is grace and truth yeah not just in principle it has to become life so what does the grace of god do to us we looked at it and we'll just review a few things and I want to just concentrate on four elements of the grace of God but before I come there, I'll just give you a, give you a, a slight introduction about the, some of the truths we have, we have learned about the grace of God. First truth, if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 to 10. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 to 10, we know this very well. What does the grace of God do? It saves us and grants us new birth, right? Look at what it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. And what is that? For we are his workmanship created in Christ. So we are we have been recreated in Christ Jesus by God granting us what? New birth. Okay, unless a man is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless a man is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And that's the first truth that we have learned. Okay, so uh, God grants us new birth. As many as have believed in him, he gave them the authority to be called the children of God who were born, not of the, not by the will of man or the or of blood or of the flesh, but of the will of God. Okay, so the first thing what grace does is it grants us New birth. That is the reason why First Peter chapter 1 will say, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who granted us to be, I mean, who was, uh, who sh- was abundant in his mercy. How did he show his abundant mercy? By granting us new birth unto a living birth, a living hope through the resurrection, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the first thing that the grace of God does is it grants us new birth. Okay. Second thing the grace of God does, it teaches us. It also teaches us. Look at what it says in Titus chapter 2. It teaches us to do what? Hmm? Titus chapter 2, if you can put it in the NIV. These are some of the things that we have learned over a period of time. So we are just reiterating and then we will concentrate on the four things that we also, that, that the grace of God does specifically uh, today, for, for today's, in today's uh, um, uh, teaching. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. What does it do? It teaches us to say no. No to what? Ungodliness first. Whatever is ungodly, it teaches us to say no. Whatever does not accord with godliness. Okay. Makes us more godly. What is more godly? Makes us more godlike. In other words, makes us more Christ-like. Okay. Christ would not do this. Now there was a, when we were growing up, um, when we were in the youth camp, they used to give us those bands, no? WWJD. What is that? What would Jesus do? Okay. So, uh, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Meaning, it teaches us to say whatever is does not accord with the life of Christ, it teaches us to say no. And it teaches us to say no to worldly passions or worldly desires. Desires are not wrong. Worldly desires are wrong. That is the reason why it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So what happens when you begin to delight in God, your desires also keep changing. Even it says in James chapter 4, the spirit in you lusteth to envy. It also desires after you. 
So there are strong desires. Desires should not go wrong. That's what it means. They should not become worldly passions. So he teaches us which is godly passion and which is worldly passion. You have to have passion. But this is worldly passion. This is godly passion. So it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It teaches us to say no to worldly passions. And it teaches us to live what? Self-controlled lives. Okay. One of the most important thing. Self-control. Self-control. The ability to be first of all. To be slow to anger. Quick to speak. And slow to speak. Also, quick to hear and slow to speak. Slow, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. That is a tremendous, uh, what do you say, gift of grace. The grace of God teaches us how to, how to have self-control, how to exercise self-control and being temperate in all things. It teaches us. Okay. And it teaches also how to live upright lives and godly lives. When? Not in the age to come now. That's the point. How to live upright, godly lives in the present age. That's what grace of God teaches. In other words, it teaches us to become what? Overcomers. Okay, How to overcome sin is the one thing that grace teaches us. Romans chapter 6 verse 14. Look at that verse very well. We know it very well, but we will look at it again. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are no longer under law, or not, not under law, but under grace. Because you are under grace, you will not, sin will not reign over you, but rather you will reign over sin. You will actually begin to reign in life. You will have dominion over, over your, over your, that sin nature. You are able to crucify it every day of your lives. That's a, that's one of the things that we learned. Okay, that you are able to do that so that you can live this godly life. Third thing, grace of God also gives us a gift to serve in his kingdom and glorify his name. All of us, will, will grace of God does it. It gives us a specific gift so that we can serve in the kingdom and glorify his name. Let me show you that. First Peter chapter 4 verse 10 to 11. <clears throat> I, I like that in order that statements. One of those in order that statements. As each one of you has received a gift, minister it to one another or serve one another as stewards of the manifold grace of God. As stewards of the of of, of God's uh, manifold riches or gifts. So what does he do? He says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone serves or ministers, let him do so with the ability which God supplies, so that or in order that all things, in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So what does God do? He gives us special giftings so that we can serve and serve in the kingdom of God and what do what? Glorify God's name. So that is a third thing we, we want to understand about grace. This Of the several things, I am just pointing out a few. And because he is giving giving us this gift, what does what we what do we need? We need to also have another attitude, the attitude of being hardworking. That also great of grace of God does. You know that First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse nine onwards. What does it say? For I am the least of all the apostles. That is that is I believe that is the reason why he got so much of grace. 
For I am the least of all the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And verse 10 onwards, but by the grace of God I am what I am, but his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored, what? More abundantly than all of them. Yet not I, but by the grace of God, which is in me. So what is it? What is he talking about? He's saying one of the things that the grace of God does is, it does not make, does not make us slothful. It makes us more hardworking. Okay, it doesn't make us slack. Okay, it makes us hardworking. It grants us abilities to, to, to work hard and to be a blessing in God's kingdom. And and another thing which I wanted to point out today, <clears throat> I believe for today's lesson, turn to First Peter now, chapter 5. And I want to look at four things which God's grace will do for us. Okay. Ch- chapter 5 of First Peter and verse 10. <clears throat> but may the God of all grace. I like that. That is the reason why I want to concentrate on this one. May the God of all grace. So, if you look at the work of grace, they can be characterized into these four elements. May the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, he called us, after you have suffered a little while, (laughs) you will definitely suffer. What does he do? He will perfect you, first thing. Second thing, he will establish you. Third thing, he will strengthen you. And fourth thing, he will settle you. Oh, understand this. So, may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, what does he do? He will perfect you. He will complete what he has started in your life. He will establish you. He will strengthen you. And he will settle you. And if you can read verses 11 onwards, 11 also. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And look at this, verse 12. By Sylvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that what? This is the true grace of God in which you stand. So if this is the true grace of God, and if God is God is called the God of all grace, what is he able to do? He's able to perfect, he's able to establish, he's able to strengthen, and he's able to settle. You understand? So let us examine these things. How is, how does God of all grace, uh, accomplish this work in our life? Is something which we want to look at for, for today. Very brief, brief, elaborate, whatever. So, but before we do that, what we should do is turn with me to First Peter again, chapter one, and, uh, verse 13, if I'm right. 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. What is that? Gird up the loins. The loins of your mind. Be sober. And then, and rest your hope on what? Fully upon me. No. Upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is what we have to rest our hope on. So in order to rest your hope on fully upon the grace that is going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, what are you supposed to do? Gird up the loins of your mind. If you can put it ESV, it's ESV is even more interesting. The way it, uh, and we'll put NLT, ESV also. Okay. 
Therefore, prepare your minds for action. <laughs> okay, what is that? Lights, lights, camera, action. Prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, you are saying, Lord, whatever you are going to do in my life, I want to do one thing. My mind, I want to set my hope fully upon that grace. By faith, by having been justified by faith, we have peace with God and what? We have access by faith into the grace upon which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, we rejoice in tribulation, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience for perseverance, perseverance godly character or proven character and proven character, hope and hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So therefore, set your hope fully upon that grace. And if you, if you are setting your hope fully upon your, upon that grace and you have prepared your minds for action, what kind of a mind do you have? A humble mind. Why? Because God gives only what? Grace to the humble. You are saying, Lord, this is what we call as a beggarly spirit attitude. Your mind is, Lord, No, I cannot do this in my strength, Lord. I am setting my hope not on my strength, not, not, on, my, not on the abilities that I have or may not have, but I am setting my hope fully upon the grace that is going to be given to me at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what is what, what happens? The more the life of Jesus Christ is being revealed, you will say, oh, how can I? Live this life. Set your hope what? Fully upon the grace. That by that grace, you will be able to live this life. The truth has to be established. The truth has to be exalted. But when the truth is exalted, what do you do? Lord, how can I live this life? Set your hope fully upon the grace of God. Prepare your minds for action. Have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. What is that? Arm yourself with the same mind for whoever has suffered in Flesh has ceased from sin because Christ also suffered in this flesh and he ceased from sin. Arm yourself. This is the truth of God. Lord, I'm not able to live to the truth. Don't worry. Set your hope hopefully upon the grace of God. That is what, what, what we want to do. So therefore, set your hope fully upon the grace of God. And the God of all grace, what is able to do? He's able to do four things. First thing, what is he able to do? Make you perfect according to, let's go back to First Peter chapter 5 verse 10. <clears throat> But may the God of all grace, thank you, thank you so much. This is perfect. What a, what an amazing God. May the God of all mercy, he says in other, other places, actually, uh, in, in first, second Corinthians chapter one, he says, may the God of all comfort, comfort you in every trial so that you may comfort those uh, who are going through any affliction by the comfort by which you have received from God himself. So God is a God. See, God in his totality, he can, he can provide whatever you want. He is. That is the reason why he is God. Therefore, if you have Christ, you have everything. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Where is the Son? Baba, in me. He is birthed in me. So through the grace of God, by the word of God and by the spirit of God, he has granted us new birth by what? He, it says in James chapter 1 verse 18, he begat us again according to his will by the word of truth. He begat us again. He did it in a sovereign will. That's the reason why he says, who is that fellow who is born of the spirit? The wind goes wherever it wishes. Therefore, in the same way, the person who is born of God, 
we only we don't know where where it is coming from we don't know where it is going in the same way it's a sovereign act of god and whoever is born of god by in in the, in the last few days or 45 days or 50 days that we have been studying the word of god let me tell you it was a sovereign act of mercy that god has done in your life it was nothing that you did it was absolutely the mercy of god if you could not bring yourself to be birthed in the flesh in the same way you cannot bring yourself to be birthed in the spirit god did it and if god does it set your minds fully upon that upon the grace of god set your hope fully upon that grace of god so that what he has begun he will also finish so don't worry how can i do this lord he is able to make all grace abound it says in second corinthians chapter 8 so may the god of all grace do four things first thing establish may the god of all grace who called you called us to his eternal glory glory so what is the ultimate thing he is not called us to temporary glory the god of all grace does not call call us to temporary glory that is the reason why paul says this light and momentary affliction what is it doing it is return there second corinthians chapter 4 last two verses for a light affliction which is for a for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding it's not exceeding it is not more exceeding it is far more exceeding i think actually the language for grace is not sufficient that's exactly what uh, what paul is trying to um, show through his letters also that not the riches of his grace the exceeding abundant riches of his grace boy that is what grace and he says this exceeding abundant riches of his grace will be made manifest in the ages to come so even the ages cannot explain will not be able to contain how much god was able to uh, loved us and and uh, and is willing to pour that grace upon our lives and we'll be understanding it over and more and more so what is he saying is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we do not look at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporary but the things which are not seen are eternal so even as we look forward to eternal things and we look at the standards of eternal things and we say lord how is it possible that is where first peter chapter 5 verse 10 comes into picture he says what the god of all grace who called you to his eternal glory by christ jesus by how did he call you to eternal glory by Christ Jesus what did Christ Jesus do he died for you he died for your sin that's what pastor was talking about yesterday right romans chapter 5 verse 10 what an what an amazing word if you have been saved by his death much more have you been said you be saved by his life also he who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all how will he not with him freely give us all things pertaining to life and godliness will he not of course he will so he is able to he but the god of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by christ jesus yes we may have to suffer how much a little while that's what paul was saying it was what it is a light and momentary affliction what is he able to do he is able to perfect you establish you strengthen you and settle you first thing what is he able to do he is able to perfect you 
This is one thing that many people get frustrated with. Oh, perfection is impossible. Now, let me just tell you what that perfection means. It, is, it means that he is able to finish that God, what God has started in your life. How is he able to do it is, a, is something which we have to look at. But before we look at, make you perfect means God is able to finish what he started in your life. That is the reason why he is called the author and the perfecter or the finisher or the completer of your faith. Completer, if you type completer in your uh, in your uh, word pad, word, it says uh, spelling error. So because uh, those words, the biblical words cannot be, um, they cannot be expressed in the, in this language. That is the reason why we need language with the Holy Spirit teachers, it says in second, first Corinthians chapter 2. Perfecter is a Holy Spirit language. That those languages, that that words, those words are not available in the dictionary. For author and the completer, perfecter, finisher of our faith. These are the words which are available only in spiritual language. So we have to create some spiritual vocabulary even as we go. Okay. So what is he doing? First thing, he's able to perfect what he has started in your life, and that he will not give up halfway. Who? Oh, God will not give up. He will not say, okay, fine, this fellow go. He is not going to do that. He is totally committed to you. The point is, are you totally committed to him? You know, when I went home, Abigail asked me, Daddy, what does grace mean? What is the full form of grace? I said, Are Baba, you're asking me? I said, yeah, God's riches as Christ's expense. I said, yeah, 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 okay, okay, no, good, right answer. That's exactly what it is, right? God's riches as Christ's expense, he has called us by Christ Jesus and he did not spare his own son. Will he give up halfway? But unfortunately, the reality is, in Christendom, before we go there, first let us look at some promises. Okay, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Being confident of this very thing. Who is confident? Paul is confident for the Philippian church. That he who began a good work in you will what? Complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And therefore he tells, we will go to that later on. He is able to do it. Second, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. Wow. You know what he, why he's got such kind of an assurance? He's looking at his own life. A former blasphemer. A persecutor of the church. A murderer. An ignorant fellow. An insolent fellow. If I have received so much of grace and God has started this work in my life, will he give up halfway upon me? No way. Then, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 to 5. It says, look at what it says. 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that is does not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. And what 5 verse 5? Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. How are you kept? By the power of God. How do you access the power of God? Through faith. So, 
He is able to do it. He is fully committed to what he has started in your life. But the unfortunate reality is, the tragedy, if you will, that there are so many half-constructed houses in Christendom. The Bible is also full of people who began well and you could not finish well. You can look at Saul. Example. It says the Holy Spirit came upon him and God gave him a what? A new heart and he began to prophesy. And it, and the, and the, and the proverb came. What was the proverb? He saw also among the prophets. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy. God gave him a new heart. God gave him a humble heart. So that those sons of Belial who did not, uh, support him in his cause, they all say, come on, bring out those sons of Belial. He says, no. Nobody will do that. That was a man, how he started. And God says, I would have established your what? Kingdom forever. But now I have found a man after after my own heart. Why? Because half-constructed houses. Somewhere down the line, they compromise and they just go away. Solomon, what a tremendous start. Oh, what a tremendous start. A man who has been, who wrote 3,000 odd proverbs. Uh, only a part of it was given is 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 recorded in the in the Bible. Who studied animals and creatures, creeping creatures, crawling creatures, all kinds of creatures, and understood and gave us instruction, the wisdom literature. Finally, couldn't finish what God started in his life. That is the reason why it says in Luke's Gospel, chapter fourteen, verse twenty-eight. Why? For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it. And then what happens? Lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish all those who look, uh, see it begin to mock him. That's a fact. It's a, it's a fact. So many Christian lives have completed. So how does God perfect this though? Perfect God's work which he has started in our own lives. So let us look at an Old Testament picture to understand this lesson as to how God finishes what he has started. And what he has started, he will finish because he is a what? No, 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 no. He is the God of, uh, because he is the God of all grace, he will finish what he has started in our lives. But in order for him to finish what he has started in our lives, Philippians 1, Sorry, Philippians verse, chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. 11 and 12 if I'm right. Let's see. Yeah, 12 and 13. 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation or your own salvation with fear and trembling. And for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So you have the sovereign, the, the power of God and the will of man. They're going hand in hand. God gives us the power. God gives us the, he, he works in us to do, uh, to both to will and to do his do his good pleasure, but we also have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So the God of all grace is able to do this. But how we, how does he accomplish it? Accomplish the finished work of constructing or making us a sanctuary. Right? How does he do it? Let us look at an Old Testament example. Hmm? Turn to Ezra chapter 4. 
and let's read verses 23 and 24. Ezra chapter 4, verse 23 and 24 first. Now when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read from Rehum, Shimshai the scribe and their companions, they went up to in haste to Jerusalem against the Jews and by force of arms made them to cease. Now Jews came back, they started building the house and people were getting frustrated around. They wanted to stop the work of the build, work of uh, building God's house and they went to uh, the king and they got letters and they said these people are this, these people are that, they were, they, they always had a bad reputation, etc, etc, etc and they got letters from the king saying that the house has to stop. So the work of the house of God which is at Jerusalem ceased and it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius king of Persia. So what happens? The work of God stopped. Is it completed? No. But what did I say? The God of all grace is able to perfect, meaning complete what he has started in your life. So how does he accomplish it? Now let us turn to chapter 5 verse 1. This is fantastic now. Then the prophet Haggai, <laughs> I like that, and Zechariah son of Edo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem, in the name of the Lord God of Israel, who was over them. So what did God do? Sent two prophets. Not just not one prophet, two prophets. What came through Jesus? Grace and truth. But in order to appropriate grace, what should we encounter first? Truth. So who is the prophet of truth among Zechariah and Haggai? Haggai is the prophet of truth. So let us say what Haggai says. Okay, let us go to Haggai chapter 1. Okay, Haggai chapter 1, let's read from verse 1 onwards. I'll tell you where to stop. Well, let's keep on reading. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of God came to Haggai, the prophet of uh, uh, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying. So there, these are the two uh, leaders over there. Who is that leader? Zerubbabel, meaning, Zerubbabel means uh, a stranger in Babylon. And Joshua, you know, the high priest. So these two people, one, Jerubabel is, by the way, is a, is a governor. And he is of the tribe of Judah. Thank you. He is the, he is the great grandson, if I'm, if I'm right, of Joachim. Joachim. So he is of the tribe of, tribe of Judah. So from Zerubbabel also comes who finally? Jesus will come, okay. So Zerubbabel is of the tribe of Judah and Joshua is the high priest and these two both are a picture of the new covenant believer together. Because we are what? Kings and priests in the new covenant. These two together are a picture of the new covenant believer. What is Zerubbabel? A stranger in Babylon. Joshua, Yahweh is my Joshua, Joshua ka matlab kya? Yehoshua. Yehoshua means what? Yahweh is my salvation. Yahweh saves. So, Zerubbabel and Joshua together are a picture or a type of the new covenant believer. And those, those the new covenant believer, what, what, did, what did that fellow do? Because of some external pressure, he stopped building the God's house. You're getting the point, no? You're getting the point. They stopped building God's house. So, the prophet Haggai comes. And he says something to both these fellows. And of course, which is telling to us, the new covenant believer. Because we are not only just priests, we are kings and priests in the new covenant. And we have a high priest who is also a king and a priest of the order of Melchizedek. Because Melchizedek was also the king of Salem and he was also the priest of the most high God. Of that type. 
Okay. So we are also, we are a new priesthood altogether and both Zerubbabel and Joshua together is a type of a new covenant believer. And what has happened? Because of some external pressure, they have stopped building the house of God. And what are they doing instead? Look at what it says. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts saying, this people say the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be. Ah, pressure has come. No, there are so many excuses to not to build. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet saying, is this time for you, for your, for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? In other words, look at what you're doing. You're trying to build your own careers, your own comforts, your own lives, instead of being, if, instead of concentrating on that one thing which will last eternity. What is that? What, what is that one thing which lasts eternity? Eternity, the temple of God. What is the temple of God? You and I are the temple of God. Instead of concentrating on to how to build the temple of God in our lives, you are lit looking at something which is absolutely disconnected to the temple of God. You're completely getting diverted. Instead of being stranger in Babel, now you've become the friend of Babylon. Zerubbabel means what? Stranger in Babylon. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. What's happening? And then he gives (laughs) some interesting (laughs) uh, ways to, uh, what do you say, measure, you know, symptoms, spiritual symptoms. He says, you have sown much. What is happening? You're bringing in little. You 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 bring in little. You sow much. You eat, but are not enough. You drink, but you are not filled to the drink. You clothe yourselves, but you are not warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. In other words, you look at all these things. You are concentrating on something else rather than building the house of God. But but really, is it satisfying you? Is it becoming become, be, uh, bringing contentment into your life? And if you are a believer and you have suddenly stopped. Building God's house, that is your own house, concentrating on, instead of concentrating more on the spiritual things and you are looking at the temporal things, you know what what will do? What will happen? The temporal things will not satisfy you. And if you are a child of God, God will not allow you to prosper also in God's grace, in God's mercy. And thus says the Lord, what do you do? Consider your ways. And then he says, verse verse 8 and 9, Go up to the mountains, bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to a little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord? Because of my house, which is in what? Ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Everybody wants to live his own life instead of building my life. And therefore, Consider your ways. And he says, why? Why did you stop building the house? What was the reason? You stopped building on This is your reality. And what is Haggai showing? He's showing the truth. And again, let's read to verses 10 and 11. Look at what he says. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew. And the earth withholds its fruit. For I I called for a drought on the land and on the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and all the labor of your hands. What did I do? I called a drought. So that you will consider your ways. And you look at it and say, Lord, I stopped building the house of God. I am so useless, Lord. What will happen to me? Thank God it is only not Haggai. There's also another guy, Zachariah. What does Zachariah say? This news came to both who? This message came to both who? Zerubbabel and 
Joshua. So what does Zachariah say to both Joshua and Zerubbabel? Look at what it says. Zechariah chapter 3. And he showed me first Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. Meaning Satan is bringing all kinds of oppositions. He's saying, you know what? I've stopped building the house of God because, boy, I've sinned so much. Can God really make use of my life and do something good out of this life? You showed me the truth, Haggai. But what? I know, I've fallen short of the glory of God. Absolutely. Zechariah comes. Joshua the high priest, this is what the Lord showed me. And the Lord said to Satan, accusations, right? What made them stop the building of the house, house of the Lord? Accusations of the enemy. Satan means what? Accuser. Sitna. It says in uh, Genesis chapter 25, if I'm right, Sitna means from which we get the word Satan. Means the guy who digs up dirt in your life. Sitna. You know, that's how the guy who digs up dirt. I think Ravi Zacharias was the one who said, if you dig dirt on other people's life, you lose your own ground. So what does Satan do? Satan is digging up dirt on Joshua and accusations have come and this tremendous spiritual battle which is going on and you are able, you are not able to move one inch because you are overwhelmed by guilt. The Lord rebuke you. So what is Joshua doing? He is standing right in front of God, Satan next to him and what is Satan doing? He is bringing absolute accusations against Joshua. And can Satan lie to God? No. He will lie to us. First of all, he will come and say, you will surely not die. And after you sin, he will go to God and say, you know what? This fellow did these things. They are mine now. That is how double-tongued he is. That is the reason why we call him a double-tongued devil. Devil is double tongue. Okay. So he, he brings these accusations and is overwhelmed by guilt. And Joshua says, What can I do? I can't build this house. I mean, what is the use, Lord? I'm such a sinner. Can I build this house? That is when what comes? Just not truth. <laughs> what also came through Jesus Christ? Grace came through Jesus Christ. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and he was standing before the the angel. Thank God. It is the angel. And you know who that angel is, right? Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying, take away the filthy garments. And he said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. You know why the Lord is able to rebuke you? Because you know, all these things that he has done, absolutely that is true. But because he has confessed, I am going to give him my righteousness and I am going to take away all the filthy garments that is clothing him. Take away the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, see, I have removed your iniquity and I will clothe you with what? Rich robes. I will clothe you with my righteousness. But how can you do it, Lord? We'll come to that. And he said, I will put a clean turban. What did I say? What, who said? And I said, who said? I? Zachariah. You know what Zachariah said? Lord, put a clean turban on his head. What does clean turban mean? Holiness to the Lord. Now this guy is not only forgiven, he is completely sanctified and set apart for God. So they put a clean turban upon his head and they put clothes upon him and the angel of the Lord stood by him and he just stilled the avenger, the enemy and the avenger. He shut his voice. 
That is exactly what, what it says in Colossians chapter 2 verses 15 and 14. Actually, you can read, read from verses 13 and 13, 14 and 15. 13, 14 and 15. And you being dread in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made you alive together with him having what? Forgiven all, not just one. All your trespasses. And then, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, and especially one of the primary enemies of the uh, weapons of the enemy is accusation, guilt and condemnation. You know what God says? This guy has come to me. I'm taking away the filthy garments and I'm clothing him with my rich robes of righteousness. And not only I'm putting rich robes of righteousness, I'm also putting a turban upon his head, which says he is the holiness. He is completely set apart. Can you imagine God can do that to us? You know, it's very interesting, right? There are several feasts in uh, in uh, in the Jewish calendar. The first feast, we know it very well, is the feast of the Passover. And after that, you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And after the Feast of Unleavened Bread comes the Feast of what? The First Fruits. Okay? The Feast of First Fruits. Uh, and what do they do? They take a bunch of things and they do a wave offering. Okay? In all these things, they have to offer some uh, meal offerings also. And all these meal offerings, what should not be there? No leaven should be there. At all. And after... The feast, the feast of the first fruits comes the feast of what? Excuse me? No, 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 no. Come on. For after the feast of first fruits comes the, who was the first, who was the Passover lamb? Jesus was the Passover lamb. So Jesus, when Jesus came and died, the feast of the Passover was fulfilled in him. And the feast of unleavened bread also was fulfilled in him because he was the unleavened bread which was sacrificed for us. Second, the feast of first fruits means what? Who is the first fruits? Christ is the first fruits. He took his life and he waved it before God so that he brought us what? Forgiveness and salvation. And after the feast of first fruits comes next what? Pentecost or what we call as a feast of weeks. June 7th, by the way, is the feast of Pentecost for us as a church. We'll be, end, we'll be finishing 12 years. Hallelujah. Significant times, my dear brothers. Okay. 12, so June 7th, which is Sunday, is a, is a Pentecost. Okay. It's a Pentecost Sunday and we will be finishing 12 years as a church. Okay. That's besides the point. But what, in the, in the feast of, uh, of weeks, you have to offer several offerings and one of the offerings is a meal offering. In that offering, what should you add? Leaven is added. Okay. When Jesus is offered to God, what is not, what is not added? Leaven is not added. He was absolutely unleavened. But when the church began, what is there still in him? There is still, they were forgiven, but the sin nature is still not removed. They, they have to fight that. That leaven of sin nature is still not there in them. It's still there in them and they have to crucify that old man every day of their lives. Which the, That old man which is growing, what? Which is growing corrupt with all its deceitful lusts has to be crucified. So when the day of Pentecost started, it is called a feast of weeks. And in that feast of weeks, there's a meal offering which is a little bit of leaven is mixed. 
That is a symbol of the church, which, which has that sin nature inside of them. But does God accept it? Absolutely, he accepts it. And slowly, you know what he says in Corinthians? Purge out the old leaven, so that you may be made a new lump, because you are already new. Okay, so what is God doing? He has given him rich garments. And he called him holiness to the Lord. But is there still, still a sin nature inside him? Absolutely. But God is, is he going to deal with that? Absolutely. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be able to defeat that sin nature inside of you. Now let's go back to Zechariah chapter 3. Look, look, at, look at what it says. Thus says the Lord, if you will walk in my ways, then the angel of the Lord admonished who? Joshua. Thus says the Lord. God of Israel, Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways, if you will keep my commandments, you shall judge my house and likewise have charge of my courts. What was the, what is Joshua? Who is he? He's the high priest. What is he supposed to teach Israel? God's ways, right? He has to teach Israel God's ways. You know what God, God is saying to uh, Joshua, the high priest, which is, we are also in, in, in a type of that. He says, I'm going to teach you my ways. I'm going to show you my paths. Okay, I, 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 and likewise have charge of my courts. I will give you the places to walk among those who stand here and then hear, O Joshua the high priest, you and your companion who stood before you, for they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am sending forth my servant, the branch. Who is that? <laughs> Jesus himself, no? And let's go on. Let's read it. We'll, we'll finish this prophecy. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon the stone are seven eyes. What are the seven eyes? Seven are the seven eyes of the sevenfold spirit of the living God. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in one day. In that day, no, think about it. Has God not already made, clothed him with what? Rich garments? Yes, he has clothed him with rich garments. Has he not put a turban on his head? Yes, he has put the turban on his, on his head. But what is he going to, God, what is God going to do? He is going to break what we call the power of cancelled sin by the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. That is the reason why Charles Wesley wrote that power, powerful hymn. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King and the powers of his grace. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoners free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the riches and the power of his grace. So he can do that. Okay, in that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite the neighbor under his wine and under his own fig tree. Okay, now we will not get into the details of it, but one thing is for sure, you can get this from this whole thing, two lessons. First, God will forgive your sin. Second, God is going to slowly give you the power to overcome every power of sin that is there inside of your life by the power of the Holy Spirit because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross upon upon the stones upon the stone are what seven eyes so that is a message to who Joshua are then there should be a message to Zerubbabel also no because Haggai spoke to both Joshua and Zerubbabel one message to Zerubbabel also let us go to Zechariah chapter 4 now what is the message to Zerubbabel now the angel of the Lord who walked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep See, Zerubbabel is a guy who is an executive branch. Okay. Priest is a board. Zerubbabel is the executive. He has to do some work. He has to take the law and he has to apply it. He is the one, he is supposed to take all the patterns that he has, Joshua has heard from the tabernacle and he has to build the house according to 
pattern. Okay. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said to him, I'm looking and there is, there's a lampstand of solid gold with a, with a bowl on top of it and on the, and on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. That means anointing is flowing. Two olive trees are by it, one to the right and one, to, uh, one at the right of the bowl and the other to the left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked to me saying, what are these, my Lord? What are these? My Lord. Let's, let's look at the next verse. Then the angel of the Lord who, who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. What is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You want to build this house? You cannot do it, do it in your own strength. You cannot, you want to build this house, you cannot do it in your own power. What do you need? You need my spirit, says the Lord. And what does he do? Next. Who are you, O great mountain? (laughs) Oh, you have obstacles in your paths. You're not able to build because of accusations, because of your own limitations. There are no resources, you don't have enough talents. You have obstacles in your paths. What are you, O mountain? Before this Zerubbabel. Oh Lord, I'm not able to forgive. <laughs> if you have faith as little as a master said, you are able to, you know, not only uh, pull it out of the roots and put it into the sea. Pluck it out from the roots and put it into the sea. You are able to do it. Who is this mountain? Oh Zerubbabel. You shall become a <laughs> flame. That's what God said, no? If you have faith as small as a master said, you can speak to this mountain and it will be gone in the name of Jesus. If you can speak to this mountain, it will be cast into the sea. That means, what does it mean? No obstacle will be there for you if you are set in building the house of God in your life. No obstacle. No obstacle. What are you, O mountain? Lack of resources? I will give you. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not with him freely give us all things? Absolutely he will give us all things. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. Every sin, that besetting sin which tries to ensnare us, he is able to give us a power to overcome. And what happens? Who are you, O mountain? Before Zerubbabel. You shall become a plain and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of what? Grace and grace. That means he will be able to finish the work that God has started in his life. Zerubbabel. So it's a Joshua and Zerubbabel is a type together, is a type of the new covenant church. So you need two prophetic voices. You need a Haggai type ministry and a Zechariah type ministry. Haggai upholds the truth. And Zechariah says, okay, fine. There's a a truth over here. You know what? Grace of God is there, which is able to forgive you. It is able to clothe you with the righteousness of Jesus. It is able to give you the right standing with God. And every sin that is trying to overpower you and thwart the work of God in your life, by faith you will be able to overcome it. You know why it is not by power, it is not by might, it is by my spirit, says the Lord. And because of grace and grace, you know what you are able to overcome? You are able to overcome every obstacle and one day you will also be able to put the capstone, the foundation stone will be laid and the capstone will be laid and the work of God will be able, will be complete in your life. You know why? You know why? Because God is a God of all grace. And what does God in all grace, what does he provide? He provides two prophets. That is the reason why prophets are so important, Baba. 
the prophetic ministry in the church. The church is built upon the on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. What kind of prophets? These are the prophets who will power you and encourage you in building the God, in the in, in building the in the temple of the living God. Now look at this. These are Haggai and Zechariah are um, are contemporaries. I mean, they're together. They're not of the same age. Haggai is the older prophet and Zechariah is the younger fellow. And Zechariah got martyred, by the way. You know that. It says in Matthew chapter 23. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. Now, unlike all the other Old Testament prophets who worked alone, in the building of the rebuilding of the temple after the exodus from Babylon to Jerusalem, you have Zerubbabel, you have Joshua, you have Haggai, you have Zechariah, and all the people, you have Ezra, you have Nehemiah, you have all the officers coming together who's building the temple of the living God. This is a type of the new covenant church. And this is a type of new covenant prophetic office. What is the new covenant prophetic office? It comes and encourages you, shows the truth of the word of God and it also tells you, you know what, there is grace available to you to overcome every, every obstacle so that you can finish what God has started in your life. And therefore you should thank God for what? Prophetic voices. Thank you. Let us do it. Next, let's, let's move on. Look at how it's, how it ends. I like the way it ends also. Uh, if you can look at verse, uh, yeah. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. These are the guy who laid the foundation. And after a while, they got so discouraged because of all the accusations. They said, Baba, we can't do it anymore. They stopped the work of God. But you know what? The God of all grace is able to what? Finish and perfect what he has started in your life. The hands of Zerubbabel have raised the foundation of this temple. His hands also shall finish it, man. His hands also shall finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Hallelujah. To the Lamb of God. You are able to finish it. My dear brothers, there is God who is going to give you all grace. And first, you know what he sends? He sends into your life people who speak the truth in love. And also he sends you the power. If the moment you accept the truth about yourself and you humble yourself before the Almighty God, you know what it says? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sin. And the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all unrighteousness. And he clothes you with rich robes and he also puts a turban upon your head and he says, come on, let's start Let's start all over again. You have laid the foundation, you stopped halfway, let's move on now. Let's move on. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And then you know what, what happens? For who has despised the oh, day of small beginning? But Lord, look at this. I'm only making, taking some baby steps, Lord. Baby step slot. You know what God says? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the seven eyes of the Lord which stand to and fro of the all the other. You know what it says? The eyes of the Lord. He tells God tells Asa to, to the prophet. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro toward all the earth to make himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are perfect and upright towards him. The eyes of the Lord. The power of the Holy Spirit is backing up Zerubbabel. If you are totally committed to my cause, I am totally committed to yours. So don't despise 
the, the day of small beginning. So many of you might have started and you're overwhelmed and saying, Lord, I'm taking these baby steps, Lord. Will I be ever be able to complete what you have started in my life? God says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. You have laid the foundation. You will also finish it. But there is one plumb line. Plumb line of truth, of righteousness. Righteousness is the plumb line. You can only appropriate it by faith. My righteous shall live by faith. Okay. So the two prophetic voices raise. Haggai and Zechariah. What happens? Miracle happens. Ezra chapter 6 verse 14. Ezra chapter 6 verse 14. 14, 14, 14. Yeah. So the elders, thank you Jesus, the elders of the Jews built and they prospered. I love that. Hey, 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 hey. Look at, look at, look at, look at that. The elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. You know how, how do you measure your riches? By the amount of money you have in your bank balance or the kind of prophetic voices that have been sent into your life? That is important. What? How did they prosper? The prosperity is not prosperity of building your own house while the house of God stands and remains. The prosperity is true prosperity if the house of God is being built in your own life. That is the reason why he, in 3rd John we have my... Go there, go there. 3rd John, chapter 1, only one chapter of course. 3rd John and chapter 1, yeah, 1, verse 3, verse 2 and 3, yeah. Was the, the, to the, the elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Full stop, girl. What is there after that? Kama is there, no? Just as your soul prospers. Otherwise, they gave them their, he gave them their request and what did he send? Leanness into their soul. God gives what? Health into your soul. He makes rich your soul, your mind. It becomes the mind of Christ and you're able to build the house of God in your life. Okay? You're able to build meaning you're able to finish what God has started in your life. He's able to do it. Okay? So the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of uh, Haggai and Zechariah. So what should you do? Second Corinthians 8-7. 2 Corinthians 8-7. Second Corinthians. What well, this is the attitude that you have to cultivate. Yeah. But as you abound in everything, okay, abound in everything. That means abound ka matlab kya? Increase. Okay, abound in everything. What are those everything's over here? Abound in faith. Second, abound in speech. Third, abound in knowledge. Fourth, abound in all diligence. And fifth, abound in your love for us. Then you will prosper. That is what we call as 2020 vision. What is it called? 2020 vision. Second Chronicles 2020. Second Chronicles 2020. And after Second Chronicles 2020, <coughs> Yeah, so they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. 
And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. And believe in his prophets, and you shall prosper. Prosper in what? Building the temple of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 36. One second. One second. Romans chapter 8, verse... uh, I just forgot to put it. Romans chapter 8, verse... Uh, 32. Romans chapter 8 verse 32. <clears throat> what does it say? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered, de- delivered him up for us all. Yeah? He delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? Now the question is what is all things? Excuse me? Yeah, I'll return to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Dr. Richard, you are the Luke amongst us. Chapter 3 and verse 20 onwards. 21 onwards. 21 onwards. Yeah. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. What are these all things? Let us read verse 22. Money. No. Paul. <laughs> Whoa. I did. I thought money. No. Land. No. What is? What are? They, what does it start with? Paul. Apollos. Cephas. These are all things, Baba. So, what are all things? First starts with. Those people who labored among you in the ministry of the word of God. You know what? Just look at the people who minister in the word of God among you. And consider yourself whether you are rich or poor. Adi point. Okay. Okay, I am not talking about myself. I am just, I'm just telling. If, if I am not able to do that, I might as well just get the heck out of this place. So, how did they prosper? They prospered in the prophesying of Haggai and Zerubbabel and Zechariah. That is ultimate prosperity. Think about it, no? How much you value God and men of God and the word of God. That is the reason why he says, those who labor among you in the word of God are considered to be worthy of double honor and let them, you don't become grievous to them. Don't become a cause of grief to them. Because if you do that, it will be unprofitable for you. In other words, what? You will become poor in the spirit. Poor in, in, in your soul, essentially. Ultimate spiritual riches is what, Baba? Revelation of the word of God. That is the reason why it says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Simon Barjona, but my father who is in heaven. That is the ultimate riches. So let's go back to Zachariah, please. Sorry, uh, Ezra chapter 6. Ezra chapter 6. So the elders of the Jews built. So what is that? Problem is for 2020. Rise up and build. And prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. And they built and 
क्या बात है लव इट एंड दे फिनिश्ड इट एक According to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the command of Cyrus, the one who actually decreed Darius and Artaxerxes as king of Persia. You know what God says? I decreed all these fellows, Cyrus, Darius and Artaxerxes, they are puppets in my hand. If I have decreed and your heart is straight and, and in, 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 in line with me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you, grant you favor. With all the authorities, the hearts of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he'll turn them whichever way he wants. Because God is sovereign. The sovereign God will be your portion and you will be able to finish it because God is a God of all grace. Therefore, he is able to perfect or finish and complete what God has started in your life. But in order to do that, what does he do? He sends two prophets. The Haggai type ministry and the Zechariah type ministry. The truth of God and the grace of God. Both come together and strengthen you and enable you not only to let's just lay the foundation stone but strengthen you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Finally you lay the capstone by shouts of shouts of what? Grace. 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 It's a, it'll be a work of grace from first to last. You know what? God is able to complete what he has started because God is a God of all grace. That's the first one. Okay, second. Let's go now. Why? Kitna time ho gaya, Rabbi? Chalo. But it's okay. Second, uh, we'll finish this and we will go. Because 60th day, no? Let us finish it off. Let us go back to First Peter chapter 5, verse 10. If you can put it in uh, the, uh, in, just KJV. KJV may one E nikal dete. Bas, that I want that one. Yeah, but the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after that you have suffered a little while, after that ye have suffered a little while, a while, make you perfect ho gaya. And then what does he do? In order to make you perfect, he establishes you. I told you, you establish is not a word which is there anymore in the English language. What is establish? It is what we call as to set your face like a flint to make you steadfast in your purpose of God. Who is able to do that? No, 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 no. Yeah. The God of all grace. Adida. The God. You are saying, brother, you know what? I get distracted a lot of times. You know what God is able to do? He is able to give you that unwavering concentration. How many of you suffer with concentration? From lack of concentration? Not with, sorry, with concentration. With lack of concentration? You get distracted easily? Oh... Brother, 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 you know, how do you know that God of all grace is working in your life? You're steadfast in the, you're unmovable in that purpose that God has given you. Let us look at Luke's gospel chapter 9 verse 51 please first. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. That is what establish means. He set, you know what it means? Steadfastly set means you are totally committed. Meaning, you are not wavering. You have no plan B. I told you, no. No plan B. This or nothing. I have made a covenant with God. Over. Even if you slay me, <laughs> I will still serve you. 
you have to come to that point verse 61 and 62 and another also said lord i will follow you let me what first go adi point it is not about go let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house but jesus said to him no one having put his hand in the plow and looking back is fit for the no turning back either you are set and no turning back what does it mean if you turn back ka matlab kya hai you have your hand on the plow and you have a bunch of oxen which are you know dragging that yoke along with the plow what what are you supposed to do you have to lay those lines in perfect order that means you have your vision has to be in line so that you're constantly correcting the course that you're that you're taking uh, even as the oxen are plowing the field what happens when you look back crooked and you'll make a what a mess and you know what god says i don't want those kinds of workers in my life please please but lord i'm not a kind of i always get get distracted i always tend to look back at my past good old life oh i wish i am like that those, those egyptians who says i love the garlics and the lemons and the leeks which i freely ate but god i'm that kind of a man will god you know what god says i'm the god of all grace you know what i'm going to i am able to give you that steadfastness if you are willing but are you willing to pay the price You know what you should do? What did Elisha do? Cut, burnt all his bridges. Over. He took his certificates and put it in the dustbin. Over. Never to use them again. Can you use them? Of course. In other words, he's saying, Lord, totally committed to this law, to this to this cause. Turn there to First Kings chapter nineteen. verse 19 to 21 so he departed from there and found elisha the son of shafat who was plowing the plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him and he was with the 12th then elijah passed by and threw his mantle on him what did he do i mean like pastor was said na he threw his mantle like like and just walked through it and just went i don't have to do that okay i'm okay i'm okay only once in a while i'll give you trouble but <laughs> yeah so he's, and and then then he says and he left the oxen ran after elijah and said think about it guys this is when after rain has come now if he puts his oxen to work within a few years he's got 12 tractors baba that is what it means john edery no john edery john edery not hmt also john edery oxen is no tractors he's got a rich fellow he is he is not an ordinary fellow mantle comes and falls upon him please let me kiss my father and mother and then i will what follow and elijah elijah looks at him and says go back what have i done to you in other words he said this is i didn't call you baba i didn't call you just because i put the mantle upon you doesn't mean that i called you I put the mantle upon you because I know God called you. This calling has got nothing to do with me. 
So if you want to go and kiss God, mummy and papa goodbye and all doing all that stuff, okay, fine. It's got nothing, it's got nothing to do with me. You're not saying no to me. I didn't get the calling. And who am I to give anybody a calling? You understand what I'm saying? Calling is not mine, he says. And he immediately understands that, okay, Baba. In other words, he says, he understands the seriousness of that call. Is this so? In other words, if ever I feel hungry, I should never get the temptation to go back to my field. If ever I have lack in my life, I should not go to my cupboard and get those certificates and send my resume to the, to the latest job portal. I'm totally committed to a life of faith. I'm going to choose to be poor. I'm going to burn all bridges to my past life. That is steadfastness. You, if there be first a willing mind, hallelujah. You, and you're saying, Lord, I'm not able to do it. God says, okay, don't worry. I'll give you, because I'm the God of all grace, I'm going to give you that steadfastness. I'm going to remove every distraction from your life. I will give you the power to overcome every distraction. And give you steadfastness of purpose. So that you will be able to plow through this word. Plow and plow and plow and plow and plow and feed my people. Lord, I get easily distracted with videos. Don't worry. I am the God of all grace. Oh Lord, I don't know a language. Don't worry. I am the God of all grace. Romans chapter 16, verses 25 to 27. Look at this. <laughs> you are, you please put it in, uh, in, in uh, KJV, okay? What is that song? Okay. Now, to him that is, that is of what? Now, to him that is of power to establish you. I like that. <laughs> he has got the power to establish you according to my gospel. That is the gospel, Baba. What is the gospel? Gospel is a message which is God, which is, which is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. And that power is also able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. And then, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the lasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith to the God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. God is able to establish you and grant you power to concentrate and to be steadfast and unmovable in the work of the ministry that God has entrusted into your hands. Amen. Because he's the God of all grace. Fine. C and D. Last. Strengthen you. What is he? The last. Let's go to First Peter chapter 5. He's able to also strengthen you. Lord, I don't have strength. You know what God says? I will strengthen you. Don't worry. Exodus chapter 4. I don't have the ability, Lord. Verses 10 to 11. 10 to 12, actually. And Moses said to the Lord, Oh Lord, I am not, what? Eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken to unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I stammer. So the Lord said to me, who has made man's mouth? 
or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. Amen. That is strength. The God of all graces are able to strengthen you. And finally, let's go back. He is also able to settle you. Root you and ground you. Root you and absolutely ground you in faith. You can put it in normal. Uh, just NKJV, okay? Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. And we will stop. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, and yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through the death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. So what is he going to do? He's going to settle you. He's going to settle you. Absolutely settle you in that work that God has for you. So don't worry because he's a God of all grace. So what should you do? What should be your prayer and what should be your attitude? First Peter chapter 1 and verse 13 in the ESV. <clears throat> Therefore, Preparing your minds for action. Get ready for action, Baba. Zerubbabel, oi, get ready for action. Be sober-minded. Be self-controlled. Set your hope, not half-halfly, fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, set your hope fully. And what else should you do? Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Are we there? Verse 12 to 16. <clears throat> not that I have already attained or am I already perfected. I am not perfected yet. But what do I do? I Press on. That is what it, that's what Hebrews 6, chapter 6, 1 verse is. Press on towards perfection. Press on. I will press on. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. I will hold on to him. I'm not going to give up. And then, brother, I do not come, count myself to have apprehended, but what? One thing I do. I don't only do one thing. What do I do? Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize upward the, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I just press on, press on, press on, press on, press on. Don't give up. Don't look back. Because you know what? First Peter chapter 5 verse 10 will say, the God 
of all grace. Let us read that verse once again. But may the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen and settle you for good. And then verse 11 and 12. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. Remember that verse in Romans chapter 1 verse, Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Look what it says in Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Let's read that. Verses 1 and 2 actually. In which you stand. What is it? Therefore having been justified by faith. We are peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have access by faith. Into uh, this grace upon which we stand. And what is this grace? This is the true grace of God upon which we stand. And what is this true grace of God? This is the the grace that the God of all grace gives us in order to complete what he has started in our lives, in order to establish us, in order to strengthen us and in order to settle us and to finish the purpose for which he has created us in Christ Jesus. Amen? So don't give back. Don't give up. Don't look back. Don't turn back. Amen? Let's pray. So that is for the 60th day. I don't know which day for me. I think it's less than 60 days, but uh, Lord, have mercy upon us, Lord. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, Lord. Have mercy, 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 Lord. Mercy. Mercy upon us. Enable us, Lord, Father, to be fully committed to what you have been committed to us. Your word says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. Grant us grace, O Lord, that we will not despise your work in our lives. We will not despise the prophetic ministries that you have established in our lives. For it is through the prophesying of the prophets we prosper in the building of the temple of God. Enable us Lord to value your word and the ministers of your word. And enable us, Lord, to surrender ourselves to the work of grace in our lives. We praise you, Lord. We worship you. We give you glory. We give you honor. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.